Today, we are in Acts chapter 14, and we're going to look at the end of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. So we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 28, and um, we have been making our way through the book of Acts here on Sunday morning. It's been about a year now, and um, we've been just doing this deep dive and really looking at what it means to be the church God's church in a broken world. So let's look at these verses today. Um, I'm going to read beginning in verse 21 down through verse 28. Would you follow along as I read? It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. And from there they sailed to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation and the gift of life that we have in Jesus. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that you have given us through your Son where lost people like us could could be redeemed and come into a relationship with you. And Lord, as we just consider once again today here in our study in the book of Acts, what does it mean to be the church in this broken world? I pray that you would instruct us I pray that you would enlighten us. I pray, God, that you would do a work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever talked to someone who said something like this? Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm just not into the church. I just don't like going to church. I really don't believe in being a part of a church. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? I've talked to a lot of people like that. Or how about this one? Somebody says, you know, I don't belong to any one church. I just kind of like to jump around from, you know, church to church. And, you know, I go to this one because I love the teaching. I go to that one because I love the the worship. And I go to that one because I, they have the best coffee in town. And so, you know, it just kind of depends on on the mood I'm in for that particular day. Anybody, everybody, anybody ever meet anybody like like that? You know, I I have. Um, All of those mentalities really downplay the importance that God and the New Testament places on the local church. And here at the end of Acts chapter 14, we see a great example of the importance that God places on the local church. And the term church in the New Testament, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and it means those who have been called out and those who have been called together. It's the called out ones. 
And you see, there's really two groups of people living in the world today. There is one group, it's the collection of men and women who are organizing their lives without God and against God. And the Bible refers to that collection, that group of men and women who are organizing their lives apart from God as the world. And this group essentially says that, hey, there are no absolutes, and so we're just seeking to do what is right in our own eyes. And that really is the prevailing mindset of so many people in the world today. Just do what seems best to you as it relates to your priorities, as it relates to religion, as it relates to marriage and sexuality and gender. You just do what you think is best. That's the prevailing mindset today of most people who refuse to believe in God. And that's group one. But then this other group is the collection of the redeemed, reconciled rebels. It's those who used to belong to group one, that group of men and women who were organizing their lives without God and against God, but this group has now been rescued by Jesus, and they have been called out of the world. And the Bible calls that group of people the church. The ecclesia, those who have been called out of the world and those who have been called together into this relationship with Christ. And God's primary way of reaching a lost world is through that group, the church, the ecclesia, those who have been called out, that we have been called to be in the world, but not of the world, that we've been called to be different from the world, that we have been called to shine as lights for Jesus in this dark world. We have been called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this this world where so many are just wayward and lost and hurting. Now, there's only one ecclesia. There's only one ecclesia in the, in the world. We call this the Big C Church. And the Big C Church, the, the ecclesia, is comprised of all the believers in Jesus Christ all over the world. All believers are part of the Big C Church. It's, it's global, but within the Big C Church, there are millions of little C churches. Little gatherings of followers of Jesus Christ in various cities and villages all over the world. And we comprise one of those little ecclesias, those little sea churches in this community, this family of believers that, that God has brought together. And this is what Paul and Barnabas are seeking to establish on their first missionary journey. When they set out on this journey, they had a threefold plan. Number one, they wanted to preach the gospel. 
They wanted to evangelize a lost world. And we saw them head out in Acts chapter 13, and we've been following their journey, and we have seen that they have done that. We could say, check, they've pulled that one off. They have preached the gospel, they've evangelized a lost world in every city, every village that they went to, and we've seen people come to Christ. That, that was their first goal. The second goal was to make disciples. And again, we could say, check. They did that as well. In fact, look back at verse 21 in our text. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of who? The disciples. So they went to each of these cities preaching the gospel, making disciples. This is why last week we read that they stayed in Lystra a long time. Why? Because they were making disciples, and it takes time to make disciples. You see, the goal has never, ever been to make converts. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. Not converts, not just believers, but disciples. And a disciple is a learner. It's somebody who is is following after someone with the intent that they want to be like them. That's what a disciple is. And here's the thing. Every single disciple of Jesus Christ is a believer in Jesus Christ. But not every believer is a disciple. But that's what God wants. You see, there are some people who are saved, but they're not fully surrendered. They're saved, they know Jesus, but they're not completely yielded to him. They're saved, they're a believer, but they're not a disciple, but the Lord wants them to become a disciple. So Paul and Barnabas go out, and they have this goal to see believers become disciples. And here at the end of Acts chapter 14, we find them at the end of their first missionary journey, and they're going to end up back where they started, in Antioch in Syria. They're going to end up there, but what's interesting, and I want, to, want you to notice this, this map, if we can put the, the first map up here. So remember, when we saw them in Acts chapter 13, they started from Antioch there in Syria, and they went to Cyprus. And we saw them minister all over the island of Cyprus. And then from there, after they spent some time ministering there and, and you know, leading people to Christ and making disciples, they went, the second map, if you put that up, they went from Cyprus to Pamphylia. Pamphylia is modern-day Turkey. And they began to make their way from Perga up to Antioch of Pisidia, and then eventually to Iconium, Lystra, and then Derbe. And this area over here is called Galatia in Bible times, another part of of Turkey. And so this is what we've seen so far. But now what's interesting is now they're going to be heading back home. They're going back to Antioch in Syria. Put up the last slide, if you would. And if you look at this, they're here in Derby, and they're going to go here. And this is a like a direct shot. Tarsus is where Paul is from. They could go, but he could go to Tarsus. He could go home. He could see part of his family. But instead, they circle back and go all the way back the way they came. And then they take this big, long boat ride to get to Syria. Why did they do that? 
Why did they circle back and go back to all of these cities that we've seen in the last couple of weeks where they encountered great opposition and great division? You know, we, he, Paul went to Lystra, and remember, they, they stoned him. They, they threw rocks at him. They dragged him outside the city. They thought he was dead. Why in the world would they go back to all of those places? Two reasons. Because Paul and Barnabas wanted to establish the disciples and they wanted to establish churches. So this is what I want us to consider today. First of all, what did Paul and Barnabas do to establish the disciples who were in those particular cities? And I think we, we see three things in our text. First of all, we're told that they focus on strengthening them in the Lord. Notice it says that they strengthen them in their souls. The idea is their inner man. The word strengthen in the Greek there is is sterizo, and it means to cause someone or cause something to be inwardly firm or committed or strengthened. It's the picture of being inwardly fortified. The basic idea is that of stabilizing something by providing a support or a buttress. If you don't know what a buttress is, look at this picture of the Cathedral of Notre Dame over in Paris, and you see all these beams coming out the side of the building. Those are called a buttress. And those are these beams that are meant to hold up those walls from falling over. That's what Paul and Barnabas were seeking to do with the disciples in these cities was to give strength and stability to their lives spiritually, to strengthen them in their inner man. You see, the the building in the kingdom is always an ongoing process. Growing in Christ, building, being built up in the Lord, it's always an ongoing process. It's always fluid. It never, ever is static. There never, ever comes a time on this planet in any one of our lives where we get stamped, completed, done. No, we are always growing. We are always in this process of building. We are always under construction. I was reminded this week of that couple years ago in the 60s. They were living in Chicago, and they came to Christ. And this couple came to Christ through the ministry of the Salvation Army back when they really focused a lot more on preaching the gospel and discipling people. And so this young couple comes to the Lord, and the guy starts attending a men's Bible study. And he shows up to the very first one, and all these guys at this men's Bible study are wearing these red Salvation Army sweaters. And they say, you know, that's been stitched on the front of them, it says Salvation Army. Well, he comes home from the Bible study, and his wife is like, hey, how was the Bible study? How was the time? And he's like, you know, it was good, but everybody had these red red sweaters, and I didn't have one, and I felt left out. Well, she loved her husband. She didn't want him to feel that way. She wanted him to keep going to the Bible study, so she got him a red sweater. But because both of them were illiterate, he didn't know what was on the sweater, and she didn't know what was on the sweater, but she wanted to stitch something on the sweater, and so she was thinking, what should I you know, stitch on the sweater? And across from where they lived was a vacant building that had a sign out front of it that said, under construction. So that's what she put on his sweater. <laughs> he shows up the next week with his red sweater that says, under construction, and all the other guys are like, that's cool. Where do I get one of those? But that's true. 
All of us are in this process right now of we are under construction. So building in the kingdom is all about pointing men and women away from anything and everything that can't support them. And so many people are grabbing a hold of things that can't support them. I, I was reading this morning about a, a pastor who, because all the stress he was going through, he turned to alcohol. That can't support you. And people, the, the, whole, the whole building process is we're, we're pointing people away from things that can't support them and pointing them to Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can do that is by pointing people to Jesus in the pages of the Scriptures. That's why we spend so much time here teaching the Bible, going through the Word of God, Because it tells us in the Word, in the volume of the book, it is written of Him. And so as we study the Word of God, we're looking to see what does it tell us about Jesus. I think that is the number one way to help believers grow and become stable in their faith. So we give a great emphasis here at Calvary Chapel in the teaching of the Word of God. So first of all, Paul and Barnabas we see that they are committed themselves. They want to establish the disciples. And the first way they're doing that is seeking to strengthening strengthening them in their inner man, in their souls. The second thing they did was to encourage them to continue in the faith. You see, in this race that we are in called the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish. Greg Laurie says, hey, it's not how high you jump that matters, it's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. And these people that that Paul and Barnabas were ministering to were living in these extremely pagan times and, and places, and these places that were filled with great sexual immorality, paganism was rampant, temptation was rampant, and these people had all started their race well, and the apostles wanted them to end well. So they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. And I want you to note this. You might want to circle this. It doesn't say to continue in their faith, but to continue in the faith. And the word the points to the fact that this is a very specific thing that they're talking about. That this wasn't random. The faith is speaking about the doctrines of the gospel. It's speaking about the doctrines concerning who Jesus is. That he was God in human flesh. Those things that would point to his deity. That he's the only way to salvation. It's, it's what the Bible teaches. They're pointing him to what the Bible teaches about who man is and, and why man was lost. The depravity of man and why man needed a savior. This is all these doctrinal things that comprise the faith. So they're taking them through these key tenets of the faith the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the reality of the resurrection. These are important things because it's important, you see, that we know what we believe and why we believe it. In fact, if you have not read Jason Duff's book, Groundwork, 
have a picture of it here. I want to encourage you. You can go on Amazon and get that. And this is a wonderful book that is really well written, that isn't too, you know, over the top heady, but it goes through all the basic tenets of the Christian faith. I encourage you to get this book. That we need to know, you know, the reliability of the Bible, the reliability of the resurrection. So this is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. In order to establish these believers in their faith, to establish these disciples, they are seeking to strengthen them in their inner man. They're wanting to encourage them to continue in the faith. And number three, they're reminding them of this important truth that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, the word tribulation here speaks of trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, and affliction. That's a pretty gnarly description, isn't it? It's trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, and affliction. You see, we can have some troubles that don't do really anything. They're they're just trouble. For instance, you go to your car tomorrow morning and you get in the car only to discover that your precious wife has left the gas tank on empty. That's trouble. But it's not the end of the world. I mean, you can make it to the gas station. Yeah, you might be a little bit late to work, but, it, but it's, it's, just, it's just trouble. Or you go to work and get there only to discover that you left something really, really important back at home. Again, that's trouble, but it's not the end of the world. You're going to be okay. But there is trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, and affliction, and the Bible calls that tribulation. And I want you to notice that Luke writing here says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say we might. He doesn't say we won't. He says, this is an absolute guarantee. And you know what? There are some things that we have in Jesus that are absolute guarantees. For instance, when you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he lives, the moment you believe that in your heart, you are guaranteed of your forgiveness of sins. You are guaranteed in that moment that God just removes your guilt. You are guaranteed in that moment that you have been placed in right standing with God. That's a guarantee. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed of the free gift of eternal life. And eternal life is not just a longevity of life, but it's a quality of life that begins right now and then culminates when we go to heaven and then when we come again with Jesus at his second coming and then he sets up a new heaven and a new earth. That's eternal life. That's guaranteed to you. Those are things that you can bank on. That's, those are things that the Bible tells us. These are guarantees in coming into a relationship with Jesus. But one thing we can never be guaranteed of is a life that is free from trouble that afflicts distress, oppression, and affliction. The tribulation, that word tribulation literally means to press, to crush. 
And I want you to think about some of the wonderful things that we have in life that are the result of a crushing. How many of you like bread? I love bread. I love the restaurants that you go to that just serve bread. You know, you go to the Cheesecake Factory, I could eat that brown bread, you know, that squaw bread or whatever. I could eat that all day. Sometimes I just start eating that, putting butter on, hey, give me some more bread, and and, and then I don't want to order anything else. It's like, you know, I'm good, kind of the check, you know. Um, It's so wonderful. Love bread. There's a time when we were in Italy, we were visiting our Good friends, missionaries served for a long time faithfully over in Italy, Jim and Margie Stewart, who are right over here. And we went out to this restaurant with them, and we ordered, you know, our meal, and the salad came, and the bread came with the salad, and so we're eating the bread with our salad. Well, then the, the pasta comes, and my wife asked the waitress, can I get some more bread with my, with my uh, pasta? And the waitress says, No. You've had enough. You don't need any more. <laughs> and we found out later that they don't do that like we do that here, you know? And it's like, you know, you don't just get as much bread that you want, and so you got to kind of ration it. But, but I love bread. But think about how bread is made. Bread comes from the crushing of the wheat. In order for the bread to be made, the wheat has to be crushed. Or think about wine. Wine comes to us from the crushing of the grapes. Or think about olive oil. It comes to us from the crushing of the olives. And I think about that. It's interesting that when we read of Jesus on the night before he's going to the cross, he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's praying. His soul is vexed. He's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but but not my will, but your will be done. He prays that on three different occasions. Over the course of, of that night, he's sweating, he's battling. Gethsemane, the name means the olive press. And Jesus, he was like that olive. He was being pressed for us in that garden. And then the next day he goes to the cross where he is literally being crushed for us. That he's taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And I find it so interesting that when Paul and Barnabas are seeking to establish these disciples in their faith, that they aim at strengthening them in their inner man, They encourage them to continue in the faith, to know what they believe and why they believe it, but they end by reminding them that this is hard. That the Christian life, it is wonderful, but it's also difficult. It's hard. It is not easy. Now, don't misunderstand this. Paul is not saying that Christians go through tribulations in order to get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. No, we get to heaven by believing that the crushing that Jesus went through was enough for us to be right with God and be in a right relationship with God, that he took our punishment. We are not saved by our suffering. We are saved because Jesus suffered and bled and died for our sins, and three days later he rose again from the dead and he lives forevermore. Can I get an amen to that? 
So Paul was not teaching these believers that they have to suffer in order to make it to heaven. Paul was teaching these new believers that because Jesus, because they, they, they've been saved by what Jesus did for them, they would in turn experience some suffering because of their faith. He's basically saying and reminding them of this. Suffering, it just comes with the territory. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to go through some suffering. In fact, these very people that he was talking to in a very short time after this, they would experience the crushing of persecution that would come on them intensely through the Roman Empire. You know, we saw this week, Tyler was teaching in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and and if you were here, he he, he quoted this verse in 2 uh, Timothy 3.12. It says, yes, and all who believe, or all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. That's a promise none of us want to claim. No one's like, hey, let's put that on a t-shirt and sell some of those, man. Let's put that on some coffee mugs so that we can, you know, look at that each morning as we have our morning devotions. No, we don't want to hear that. All who desire to live godly in Christ are going to suffer persecution, but it's the reality. And I say this, that should the Lord tarry in his coming for his church, I think we're going to see the intensity increase here in America of persecution towards Christians. I mean, it's already happening, isn't it? I mean, we're already seeing that, that you know, the, the, the group that, that is against God and without God and doesn't want anything to do with God, they want to blame us for everything. They want to say all the problems going on, it's because of those Christians. Because we'll take a stand and say, hey, what's in the womb? That's a baby. That's a lie. We'll take a stand and say, hey, we shouldn't be confused about marriage because the Bible tells us that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the way God made it. We shouldn't be confused today about gender because the Bible tells us that God made them male and female. And so we say things like that and they go, you guys are the problem. They want to blame us. But I also want you to notice that the crushing that this speaks of is not just persecution, but it also speaks of just the crushing that we experience in life. The things that we go through, the difficulties, and some of you are going through them right now. The difficulties that God allows to crush us a little bit in order to make us into something. You see, the wheat has to be crushed to make the bread. The grapes have to be crushed to make the wine. The olives have to be crushed to make the olive oil. And you and I, we experience crushing in order to make us more like Jesus. And that's what our Heavenly Father is committed to. But this is our hope, and this is our confidence. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have Peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, hey, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but know this, you're never, ever, ever going to go through it alone. 
be of good cheer. I've already overcome. And that's why Paul would say in Romans that we can be more than conquerors, not because we're awesome, but through him who loves us and gave himself for us. Yeah, we experience crushing times. It's part of life. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. But we don't go through it alone. So Paul and Barnabas, in order to establish these disciples in the Lord, set their hearts towards strengthening them in their inner man, encouraging them to stay in the faith, and reminded them that following Jesus was going to be hard. And that's why the second thing that he says to them is so important. The second goal they had, not just to establish the disciples, but to establish churches. Look at verse 23 again. It says, they appointed elders in every church. Why? Because we're not supposed, why is it so important to establish churches? Here's why. Because we're not meant to do this thing called the Christian life alone. God never intended us to do this alone. He wants us to do this together. He wants us to do this in community. And this stresses the importance of the local church. Where God gathers together a group of people who have been called out and called together in the Lord. And so the apostles, they know this and they go out and they establish churches and appoint elders because part of establishing the church was establishing its leadership. Remember last fall when we were studying on Wednesday nights the book of Titus? And Paul is ministering on the island of Crete. And as he's leaving, he leaves Titus there. And we saw this. He said this in Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I commanded you. Titus, I'm leaving you here because the churches, they need leadership. So I want you to go out and I want you to find solid men that you can appoint to be elders in the church. The term elder, bishop, and shepherd or pastor are three terms that are used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe the same office. The office of the pastor, the elder, the leader. The term elder speaks of the man. He's somebody that needs to be mature in his walk with the Lord. The term bishop describes the ministry. Bishop means to oversee. So it's watching over, it's overseeing. And the term shepherd or pastor describes the method, which is to feed and to tend. In John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples there on the shores of Galilee. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And if you love me, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my lambs, and I want you to tend my sheep. That's the job of the pastor, to feed and to tend. Peter would take this to heart. He would take this seriously. He would write in his epistle in chapter 5, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. This is what he tells them. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. You watch over the flock. You be their shepherd. In other words, you feed them and you tend them. You take care of them. 
Shepherd the flock that is among you. He's talking about their local gathering of believers. That's what they were responsible for. As a pastor, I am responsible to the Lord for this local gathering. This family of believers. It's you guys. You you are who I am going to answer the Lord for when I stand before him. And he says, look, I entrusted Calvary Vista into your hands. I'm going to stand before God and and, and he's to, to see, okay, how did I do in pastoring that church? This is my assignment. I'm responsible for this church, not the church down the street, not the church around the corner, not the church down the freeway, this particular flock. This is my assignment. And I'll tell you, I'm very grateful for it. I love being the pastor of this church. I love you guys. You guys are just such an awesome congregation. I love being a part of this church family. In fact, I was at a pastor's conference. This is years ago. And during one of the breaks, I was just kind of sitting by myself. And Pastor Chuck came walking by, Chuck Smith. And and I I didn't really know him very well at all. And it never had very many conversations with him. But he stopped, and he, he knew me, and he said, Hey, Rob, how are you doing? And, and on that particular day, I mean, I was doing good, and I said, You know, Pastor Chuck, I said, I'm, I'm doing fantastic because I pastor the best church on the planet. So I told him. And he's like, Oh, that's great. Well, at the beginning of the next session, Pastor Chuck gets up, and he quotes me. He, so first and only time I know if he ever quoted me, but he said, I was just talking to Pastor Rob Savano, and he said that he pastors the best church on the planet, and he says, I think all of us should feel that way. And you know what? I'll tell you, I felt that way then, and I feel that way now. I think, I, I think you guys are an amazing group of people, okay? Because you love Jesus. I love that about you. You love God's word. You're such an easy group of people to teach the Bible to. And we're all learning how to love, love one another, right? That, that's a learning process, right? You know? We're all learning how to do that. But I love that about this church. Love being a part of it. You know, every now and then over the you know, 27 years that I've been here, this month actually, 27 years, there have been a few times, handful of times, that I have been asked to pray about, you know, taking over an, another church. Some of them have been a couple of prominent churches. And, and, um, and I always, when I get asked that, I always pray. Because I always want to be open to what God has. But sometimes I'm praying, Lord, please don't make me go there. Please. Because please. <laughs> I want to stay here, man. I love this place. I love our city. I love you guys. Now, I don't love everything about, about this. I, I hate our parking lot. I'll just tell you. Man, does that frustrate me. This is a hard church to come to. I, I, I don't like that we are running out of space. That we don't have enough space for everything that we want to do. I, I don't like all the time that you know we're, our budget is always really, really, really tight. I'll be honest. I don't love everything, but I love this city. And I love you guys. I love being a part of this. And what we're seeing Paul and Barnabas do, because they love the believers and, and they realize that, hey, we need to establish a church. 
Because this city and these believers, these disciples, if they're going to make it, they need a community, they need a church. And so we're going to establish some elders and leaders who can shepherd the flock of God. And so that's what they set out to do. And when it comes to leading the church, I believe there are two goals, two main things that for us as pastors. There's a general goal that I look at and take from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It'll be on the screen, but it says this, Him we preach. We like to say it's all about Jesus. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, to this end I also labor. It's my work. Striving, I'm putting energy according to his working which works in me mightily. So this is the goal, the general goal. This is what we're about, to preach Jesus, to warn and to teach or to preach and teach in all wisdom, which I kind of equate it to giving the whole counsel of the word of God. But don't miss this, it's all for this purpose, that one day we might present every single person who's a part of this church family complete in Christ. That's the goal. That's what we're aiming at. When you come to church, that's what we are aiming at. That is the general goal. That's what I'm going to be judged by when I stand before the Lord, is what kind of a job did I do in seeking to present those who are part of this church family as complete in Christ. So that's what we're doing here. That's what all of this and all the stuff that we do here, that's what it is about. Nothing is random. All the studies that we are doing, this spending, I mean, it's going to end up being like a year and a half in the book of Acts, looking at what it, what it looks like to be the church in this broken world. It's all aimed at presenting all of us here, including myself, complete in Christ. Everything that we do on Wednesday nights, our Focus Wednesdays and our, our study coming up in the book of Nehemiah and when we're going to, you know, the men and women are going to break up and we're going to study and look at, you know, what does it look like for, for men to be building their lives and building in leadership? And I want to encourage all of you guys to come and be a part of this. I know the women are going to be there, but I want to see the men. I want to see you guys out here. That's what it's aimed at, that, that we might present all of us complete in Christ. That's the general goal, but there's also a specific goal. And in order to, for, to talk about or to get the specific goal, you got to come back next week. Because next week, we're going to do a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 4, and it's there that we see the specific goal of what God has for his church. I tell new people when they come here, I say, you know, I believe God has led you to be a part of this church family for this season right now for two reasons. One, he wants to do something in you through this group of people. Something that you're going to catch, something that's missing, something that needs to be reignited that you're going to discover in being a part of this church family. But the other reason why he's brought you here is because he wants to do something through you. Through your gifts and your treasures and your talents that God wants to use that to bless and build up this particular body. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And we're going to do a deep dive into it next Sunday. So I want you to be here, okay? I'm going to ask the band to come up right now as we kind of close out. 
this last section. Because what we see here in these final verses of this chapter, they illustrate how accountability and encouragement is what needs to exist with anybody in ministry and particularly with missionaries. Look at it, verse 24. Let's read it again. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. So now they're going back home. They're going back to the church that sent them out where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So there's the accountability. They come and they give a report. Here's what God's been doing. We went on on this trip. You guys sent us out. You've been supporting us. This is what God did when we were gone. There's accountability. This is what we ask of our missionaries, that they send us these reports that you get on those little cards that give us an idea. Tell us what God is doing. So that's the accountability. And then verse 28 says, and so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. That's the encouragement. Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're going to kind of settle in for a period of time before they go out on their second missionary journey, and they're spending this time to get encouraged and built up before they go back out. It's a great picture of how missions and how ministry is supposed to work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful thing that we get to be a part of, that you call the body of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, I thank you for this local little expression of your body here in Vista, here in North County, this place that we call Calvary Vista. These precious men and women and boys and girls that are a part of this church family, I thank you, God, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to be a part of this family. To be the mouthpiece, your mouthpiece for this family. And God, I pray that we all here would take seriously our calling. That goal to be made complete, fully mature in Jesus. But Lord, I pray for those right now who are in the midst of a difficult season. Who are in a time of crushing. God, I pray that you would be their strength. Lord, I pray they wouldn't look to their circumstances, but they would look to you, their Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would find great encouragement today in knowing that they can be of good cheer because you have already overcome this world. 